But I would like everyone in this room to close your eyes. And with a clear mind, I want you to answer this question. You don't have to say it out loud. But here's question number one. What is it that you want from the Lord? What is that thing? If there was just one prayer that could be answered, if there was just one burden that you could place at his throne that you knew he would answer, what do you want from the Lord? What is it that your soul longs for? Keep your eyes closed with me. Is it for your children to grow up in a godly home? And know the Lord for themselves. Is it for that relationship in your life that was once so close to be mended again? Is it for your spouse to return to a godly lifestyle? Is it for your friend or your family member to be sitting right next to you here in an atmosphere just like this? You can see it in your mind as I speak. Is it a debilitating weight that you've been shouldering the load of for too long that you just want the Lord to remove from upon you? Is it for your church? Is it for this church? to be filled to overflowing. Can you see it in your mind's eye tonight? Every seat filled, every row filled to capacity, the balcony filled to overflowing, the back doors wide open because people can't find a seat. Can you see it in your mind with every hand and every spirit crying out to God? And picture it now, your children, 10 years from now, hands lifted as tears run down their face in the presence of God. That relationship knit back together, that spouse standing here beside you, hand in hand as you worship and pray. Your friend or your family member standing here worshiping in spirit and in truth you can see it that weight that you've carried being lifted from your shoulders by a loving God a church this church so full of God fearing God loving men and women that are singing and praying and it fills the room to a deafening tone each seat taken each row filled the altar to capacity the spirit of God being poured out baptismal waters are stirred not every service but every single day that is what I desire and is there anybody with me that if you seek it if you can just picture it in your mind and get a hold of it in the spirit and say God that is what I want and would you lift your voice with me right now in the name of Jesus Lord Jesus, we come to you with boldness and with expectation. And God, we just let a hunger rise from the inside that has been put down for too long. And God, say we see it, but more than just seeing it, we believe that it's going to happen in the name of Jesus. Oh, church, come on. Can you lift your voice with me just for another minute? Picture it. Picture that miracle. Picture that answered prayer. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And now the second question before I begin my message. What you just saw, what your spirit longs to see, the one request that if God would answer it indefinitely, it's the one that you would ask for. I want to ask you this second question. What is it worth to you to see that happen? Just let that sink into your spirit. What you just imagined, that miracle that you're so desperate for, what is it worth to you to see that happen? And what price are you willing to pay to make it a reality? As I was preparing for this message, I could just see in a vision myself as I was praying to the Lord about a specific need. Two people that are close friends to me that don't know the Lord like I do. They don't walk in, in truth and they don't walk in the light and they don't fully understand everything that we do. And as I prayed this, I could see myself hand in hand with them in this altar. 
And it felt so real that tears began to roll down my face. And I just said, God, whatever it costs, God, whatever it takes, God, whatever I've got to do to make it happen, I'm committed to it. Brothers and sisters, this is going to be a simple message tonight, but I've come to preach to myself, and I'm glad that you're here to join me. And I've come to open our eyes, to our spiritual eyes, to the possibility of what God wants to do in our lives and in our families and in our churches. And so this is the question that I want to ask you tonight. What's it worth? What's it worth? What's it worth? Jesus, I just pray that over the remainder of this time that we have together, Lord, that we would be led by your spirit. And God, right now, as we've already done, we just say whatever you want to do in this place, Lord, whatever you want to speak to us as a church family, as the body of Christ, Lord, whatever you want to speak to me, whatever you want to speak to my neighbor, God, I just open myself. I'm ready to receive what you want to say in this room. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Thank you for standing with me so long. You can go ahead and be seated. What is it worth? He was a marksman, a skilled hunter in his generation, and the thrill of the hunt had captured him at a young age. Stalking his prey seemed to come naturally. Shooting a bow was organic. It was just like another limb that he possessed. He was still a young man, and this expedition that he was about to go on would be no different than those of the past. He rose up early in the morning to prepare. He grabbed his favorite bow, one that he had handcrafted himself. The bow was thin and slender, crafted from the finest tree that he and his father had hewn down. He and his father had spent hours sculpting and sanding the bow to a near perfect finish. He runs his hand across the bow, admiring the finishing work. He had just oiled it the night before in preparation for this expedition. He pulls the string back, testing the tensile strength. It was just right. It was perfect as always. He took pride in preparing and caring for the tools of his trade. He reached for his quiver and he grabbed a handful of arrows, carefully inspecting each arrow shaft for flaws. He quickly sharpens the arrowheads, although he had just done this the night before. But one can never be too, take too much care in sharpening the arrowhead. As he inspects the last arrow, the sun begins to rise in the horizon. He quickly grabs the arrows and puts them into the quiver. It's now time to get to work. He steps out the door, takes a deep breath, and inhales all that the earth has to offer. He scuffs his feet into the grass covered in the morning dew. He looks to the sky, prays to God to bless him and protect him on this journey, and off he goes. It almost takes a day's journey for him to get to his usual spot, one that he had been successful at many times before. You hunters know you've got that secret spot that you don't tell anybody about. This was his secret spot, and it was on the eastern mountainside of a valley, one with a glistening stream that flowed from one end to the other. And as he often did, he arrived. It was late in the day, and he began to make camp. The sun was already beginning to set. The day had been consumed by the journey, and with any luck, a herd of deer would pass through within the counting days. He had been scouting then for the last few weeks, preparing for this moment, preparing for this journey, preparing for this expedition. He laid down for the night, fatigued from the early morning and a long trek to the hunting grounds. Tomorrow would be no different. He slept sporadically through the night, tending to the fire for warmth as he laid below the stars, dreaming of taking the shot. He rose early the next morning to make breakfast, the only meal that he had packed for this expedition. The journey would be many days, and he would need to travel light, but today's hunt would provide him with the nourishment for the journey home. He extinguished the fire and packed his gear and prepared to make headway onwards. 
hours rolled on with no sign of any wild game for his picking. It was now turning to evening and the sun was again beginning to set. He now faced a difficult decision. He had a hard choice to make. Go back home empty-handed, which was surely to be a hit on his pride. Or wait just a little bit longer, but risk hiking back through the evening with no food. He chose to wait. He knew how hard the walk back was when it was empty-handed. He had experienced it before, and he would never choose to experience it again. And then suddenly, he could hear the slight snapping of a tree branch. Minutes passed by, feeling like hours, holding his breath. He waited to see what would exit from the forest's edge. Success. Out came the herd of deer that he had been scouting. He had been waiting for this moment, but now it was late in the day and the trek back home was long. He had but a short time to act. He began his trek down the mountainside, one he knew would be much harder to scale in the dark of night with all that extra weight from his upcoming kill. But he didn't mind. It was worth it to him. He was a hunter, silent, and quietly, he lowered himself into the valley. Only moments of sunlight remained. And at this point, he would be forced to camp out for a night after this kill. The journey was far too unsafe to make in the middle of the night. And besides, he was getting tired. He was within range, nestled in the perfect location. There was scarcely enough sunlight to make but just one shot. And so quickly, he grabbed the arrow from his quiver and retracted the bowstring and the fletching of the arrow tucked between his fingers. This was his moment. This was who he was. And suddenly, a wind begins to blow. There's a breeze that rushes through that valley. And that herd of deer, they pick up his scent. And just as he feels the breeze through his hair and releases the arrow, the deer begin to rush away. His mark was missed. His day was expired and his stomach was empty. He had not eaten since breakfast the previous day. And now he had been away for two days. The journey home took, uh, the journey home took much longer than he had anticipated. He was tired. He was weak. And he was just outright exhausted. The hike from the valley floor back up the mountainside was excruciating and he decided to make camp partway home. Night three in the wilderness and with scarcely enough energy to dress a fire, he gathered what loose timber and branches he could to find to last the night. Using his axe was not an option. He needed to preserve every morsel of energy that he could. Again, he rose early in the morning packed up his belongings for the final push home. Esau was exhausted emotionally, mentally, and physically. And as he approaches the homestead, he saw his brother inside. And so Esau pushed through the doorway and quickly removed his bow and quiver from his back. And he laid on the floor trying to catch his breath and regain just a fragment of strength, feeling like he is on the edge of death's door. Genesis chapter 25 verse 29 picks up the story. It says, one day... When Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. He was hungry. And he looked at Jacob and he said to him, he said, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. And Jacob said, all right, you can have some. But if you want what I've got, you need to trade me your rights as the firstborn son. And Esau, in desperation, away in the wilderness for such a long journey, coming back empty-handed on the verge of death, he says, look, Jacob, I'm dying of starvation. But what good is my birthright to me now? He said, I feel like I'm about to die, so what good is my birthright to me now? Esau 
is taken advantage of in a great moment of weakness. His brother Jacob, the deceiver on the ready, just waiting for the moment to strike the mighty hunter, his brother Esau. It was clearly not an even trade. Jacob was not fighting fair, kicking his brother while he was down and out. And all of this is well and good. And if you've gone to church for any amount of time, you have probably heard the story of Jacob and Esau. We can point at Jacob, the deceiver, as the bad man and and glance at Esau for making such a short-minded decision, quite frankly, a stupid one. What is a meal worth for your birthright? What is a meal worth for your inheritance, Esau? But here's the point, and here is what Esau came to experience in his life. He came to a moment where he said, you know what? Desperate times call for desperate measures. And when you're hungry and feel as though you're about to die, hanging on by a thread, no decision seems too radical. You can look at Esau, you can point your finger at him and say, I would never do that, but understand the principle of what Esau is saying. He is saying, what good is my birthright if I am going to die anyway? What do I have to enjoy if I'm about to pass away? So at least if I give this up right now, I'll be able to live for another day. Not a fair trade in the slightest. Jacob, the deceiver. Jacob, the heel grabber. Deceives his own brother and takes away his birthright. There came a moment of decision in Esau's life. Live or die. Live or die. His mind is jumbled and really it's, it's probably screaming out just to put Jacob in a chokehold. They were brothers. If you've got a brother, you know what it's like. He probably just wanted to rough him up a little bit. But the problem was he was exhausted. He probably just wanted to give him a quick punch in the gut, kick him in the shins, anything to get Jacob down, grab the soup and devour it before Jacob has a minute to retaliate. But he cries out, Esau relents with words that echo in this room tonight. What good is my birthright to me now? What value does this have to me if I am dead? Esau was willing to do anything to satisfy his hunger. And he had to ask himself the question that I ask every one of us tonight. What is it worth? What is it worth to me to have my hunger satisfied? And for Esau, it meant letting go of his rights. It meant letting go of his entitlement. It meant letting go of everything that his father would one day lay upon him. It meant letting go of comfort. His hunger, his desperation took him from this place where he couldn't just live in the status quo anymore. He didn't just want the things of the future. He didn't care about the spoils of his father's household. He said, what good, what value does this hold to me if I'm going to die of hunger? And so Esau makes that tough decision and we can point the finger and say we would never do it but we don't know what it's like to be in that kind of situation and Esau he relents he lets go of his rights he let go of what he was entitled to and he let go of his earthly inheritance he let go of the comfort of his future. He let go of the comfort of his household. He let go of the comfort and the leadership that would have came to him as being the firstborn son. Hunger made him let it go. And can I tell you tonight, we've all been there before physically, hungry. Some of you, hangry. I'll just say that one more time, make sure we're on the same page. I've met some people in this room before that have been hangry. But hunger will drive you to make radical decisions. 
Hunger will push you beyond what you thought you had within yourself. Hunger will take you out of a place of comfort and stability and push you to your limits. And so I ask us this question tonight. What is it that you want from the Lord? And what is it worth? What price are you willing to, pr- to pay to see that prayer answered? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to lay down? What are you willing to sacrifice and give up for the cause, for the purpose, for that need? Whatever it is in your life, what are you willing to relent? Are you willing to let go of a comfortable life? Are you willing to let go of just going through the motions and every day just comes easy and you still desire that thing but you're not sure if you want to pay the price that it's going to cost you? I was in the States uh, uh, in the late part of 2022, I believe, and I was shopping with my wife and we were there with Matt and Kristen Nichols and uh, I went to the store and, and you will all relate to this, women especially, I'm not big for this, but I walk into this store, and I'm not really looking to buy anything, but there was, there was this, it was, you know, it was glowing on the hanger, and, and I looked at it, you know, and, and I could hear uh, the angels singing, and, and Jacob's ladder, they were descending upon it, and I said, this is surely the mantle of Elijah and Elisha, and this cardigan is, is for me. So I went over, true story, it was the only one left. Jesus help us. And so I grab it. It's not my size. I put it back. And I walk around the store a little bit and I look at a couple other things. I think I picked one other thing up and I was going to try it on. So I said, you know, I, I, I know it's not my size. But I'm just going to go try it on just to make sure that it doesn't. I'm sure it's not going to fit. I'm sure it's not going to work. I'm sure it's not the right uh, size for me. Uh, you know, it's, it's bigger than what I typically wear. But I'm just going to try it. Be honest with me. How many of you have done that before? You like something so much that you were just trying to fit into it and you knew it wasn't going to work? So I grab it. And, uh, you know, the voices of angels began louder. And Gabriel, he comes and tells me that this is my cardigan. Thou shalt possess the land. And this is a miracle moment. So I, I put this cardigan on, and would you believe that it fit? It was beautiful. It was comfortable. The problem was that it was $100. And so I did what most shoppers do. I held it in my hand for a little bit. I kind of felt it. Do I really want this? How bad do I want this cardigan? And uh, finally... My wife was there. She's very supportive. I really don't buy myself much. And so she says, you know what? Just, just get it. Just get it. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. And so I grab it off the hanger, and I look at it again. And uh, this was a Polo Ralph Lauren store. And uh, it just so happened. I, I really can't believe this to this day, but it just so happened that I missed a zero on the price tag. And this cardigan was not $100, but this cardigan was $1,000. And so I ran back to the, to the rack. It was the only one left for a reason. Nobody was stupid enough to buy this cardigan. As soon as I read the price tag, the ladder, whew, back into heaven. The angels shut up. Gabriel left me and a demon appeared before me. I said, get thee behind me. I put the cardigan back, shed a tear on the way home. Went back and bought it. No, I'm just kidding. But sometimes, in order for us to make a decision, in order for us to pursue something, in order for us to want to attain something, in order for us to purchase something, there is this weight of value versus the price. When value exceeds price, that is when we make buying decisions. Did you know that? We're getting very... um, We're getting really into the mind tonight. When value exceeds price, we make buying decisions. I could put a picture of a Ferrari on the screen tonight and say, who would like to buy this? 
$500,000. And I think nobody would raise their hand. If you do raise your hand, you probably are wearing a $1,000 cardigan from Polo Ralph Lauren. But if I put that same picture on the screen and I came to you, I said, who would like to buy this? $10. There would be a scramble to the altar. I would be mauled and tackled and people would be trying to get the car keys from me because at that point you would say, you know what, Ferraris are cool, but they're expensive. But man, if it's 10 bucks, I'm in. And so when we put value to things, when we see the value as greater than the price that has to be paid, that is when we begin to make decisions. And oftentimes, we can go through life and desire things. We can desire whether it's uh, physical things of this world. It could be a new car. It could be a new house. You can admire it. You can love it. But we can honestly say sometimes we just don't see the value in it. But there are times in our life when we have to look at the life that we are living the track that we are on and what we desire in our walk with the Lord and say, what price am I willing to pay? What's it worth? What is it worth to me? Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, it says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field, and in his excitement, he went back and hid it again. And catch this next part. He sold everything. Everybody say everything. He sold everything that he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything that he owned and bought it. Brothers and sisters, young and old, can I tell you tonight that there are some things in this life, there are some things that God wants to do in our church. There are some things that God wants to do in your life. There are some things that God wants to do in your family. There are some things that God wants to do in our Sunday school and in our youth and in our young couples and in our elders. There is something that God wants to do in our church and in our community and in our city. There is treasure in the field, so to speak. And can I tell you tonight that it's worth paying the price. But take note in both of these stories, in both of these parables that Jesus told, these people did not have the luxury of just going out and purchasing what they wanted. They did not just have the liquid assets to go out and buy the land or buy this pearl of great value. When they saw the land or when he saw that pearl, he had to make a decision. He had to make a decision within himself. And when he saw the treasure in the field, I'm sure that he went back to his house and he started evaluating. Okay, what do I have to sell? What, what is it that I've got to remove? What is it that I've got to get rid of? What, what is it that I, I don't need? I can, I, can, I can get rid of these things and I'm going to sell it. And he goes and he sells a few things and he comes up short. And he goes back to his house and he looks again. He says, okay, well, you know, maybe I don't need uh, two spoons. I just need one spoon. I'll sell the other one. I'll wash it every time I use it. And he goes through the house time after time after time after time. And finally, he sold everything that he has. But now he's got enough to purchase the treasure that is in the field. Sometimes in order to attain the thing that God wants to give us means that we have to give something up in return. And we don't like to talk about that all the time and it makes us a little bit uncomfortable, but the truth is the truth. That merchant on the lookout for choice pearls, 
He had many jewels. He had many pearls in his collection. But there was something that happened when he laid hold of this pearl of great value. There was something that shifted on the inside of him that when he saw this, he said, this is worth selling everything that I have. This is worth giving up everything that I have. This is worth selling everything in the treasure chest. If I can get this, it would be worth it all. It's a hard choice. It's a difficult decision to make. Just like Esau had to make a tough decision in a position of hunger. He said, I'm so hungry and what I've got is not satisfying me. And what good is all of this stuff? If I die, I am hungry. I'm hungry. And so Esau makes the call. The man sells everything he has and buys the field and takes the treasure back out. And that merchant on the lookout for choice pearls sells everything in his collection to just obtain that one thing. Can I tell you tonight, and I will not be much longer, I will ask the music to come back. Can I tell you tonight that we have a responsibility in revival. We have a responsibility if we want to see revival in our families and in our church. And oftentimes I have found myself praying, Lord, send revival. God, we need a revival. And you have probably echoed and said those words yourself. But can I tell you the truth of the matter is that we have a responsibility to play in revival. Matter of fact, it's not just a small part to play. We have a big part to play if we want to see revival. The truth is, we are the initiators of revival. It's on us to seek first the kingdom of God. It's on us to push and to reach and to build the kingdom of God. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says this. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, everybody say then. He said, then will I hear from heaven. And then... I will forgive their sin. And then this last one, which we experienced last Sunday night, he said, and then I will heal their land. It's an if-then statement. It's an if-then statement. If we do our part, God will do his part. He's not going to leave us hanging. But God said, if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. If you do your part, church, if you do your part, people of God, if you do what I have instructed you to do, then I will do what only I can do. Then I will hear your prayer from heaven. I will forgive your sin, and I will heal your land. God is speaking, and he says, if that's what you desire, here's the price tag. If that miracle is what you really are seeking after, here's the price tag. If you desire to see your loved ones come to know the Lord and serve Him for the rest of their life, here's the price tag. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And that word wicked... It does mean evil, it does mean wrongful, but it also, if you look into it, it just means unfruitful. Not necessarily sin, not necessarily wrong, but just not productive. So God says to them, is that what you really want? Is that what you're desiring? Well, what is it worth to you? 
what price are you willing to pay? Because here's the price tag and here is the promise. And I know that I am in a church full of people that fear the Lord and love Him and serve Him and desire to know Him more. And I know that God wants to grow our church and God wants to expand our horizons and God wants to bring new people into the family of Christ. But we have a responsibility in this matter. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is it worth? What is it worth? What you pictured before I opened this message tonight, that healing, that family member, that situation, that coworker, that friend, that relationship to be mended, that financial miracle, what is it worth to you? Because God is wanting to work in us. God is wanting to move in our midst. And God is wanting to pour out His Spirit in our church, in our region. God is just looking for somebody who is hungry. When God sees somebody that cries out with hunger and desperation, that is the voice, that is the prayer, that is the man or woman that God says, I can't ignore. It's like Cornelius where the prayer and the alms build a memorial before the Lord. And God says, I've got to go down and see Cornelius because I can't ignore what he's asking of me any longer. What is it worth? What is it worth? I was talking this week to Brother Ricardo Hatfield on Friday. And we were talking about this coming weekend, Remnant. And he said, Alex, I just, I just want you to share your burden with me for Friday night, that, that night of worship. It's a bit of a different format. We did it last year, and it's not a typical service with three songs and a preacher and an altar call. He said, I just want you to share your burden with me because what we talked about before, I'm, I'm just wrestling in my spirit with it. And I just, I can't do it. I've been sitting here for hours trying to write something about worship and I just don't feel released to do it. And so I said, Ricardo, I said, the Lord's been working on me this week. And it was last Saturday, I believe, that I had a meeting with our district youth committee and our, our youth president, Brother Braden Brewer, he, he displayed this graphic to us as a youth committee. I'll get you guys to put that on the screen at the back. And we talked about this in our Wednesday night service this past week and the Spirit of God moved among us. I said, Ricardo, I said, I just sent you this picture. I, I want you to look at it. And I had got up before we talked on the phone and closed the doors to my office and locked them. And he said, Alex, he said, I just, I just feel the burden and the weight of this so much. He said, because I've, as I've been sitting here trying to pen words to paper about worship, he said, I just can't help but remember how I felt a year ago when I was at your church for Remnant. And I will let him tell his testimony. And he, he was on the phone with me. He said, I've got to get up. I've got to close the door. And he closed the door to his office, wherever he was in Ontario. And to be quite honest, I'm, I'm crying in my office at work, trying not to cry too hard. He's crying in his office where he is. Because as you look through this graphic with me, this is a survey that UPCI Youth Ministries did. Not just any random bunch of people. We did this together as a youth group on a Wednesday night. These are young people that love the Lord. These are young people that are in this room tonight. These are young people that want to serve the Lord. These are young people that are called to ministry. These are young people that are going to be missionaries and pastors and evangelists one day. And we began to walk through this graphic and he began to tell me his testimony of how his life has unfolded over the last year. And I was crying and he was crying and and I just couldn't help but get past this. I said, Ricardo, I said, as we've been going through this week, I said, we've had a powerful service on Wednesday night. 
And I said, there's just one thing that is just echoing in my spirit. There's just one thing that I can't get away from. No matter how hard I try, no matter what else I pray about, there's just this one thing that is in my spirit that I believe that God is going to do this Friday night at Remnant Youth Conference. And it's this, that you don't have to leave the same way that you came into this place. I feel the spirit of the Lord as I said that. I want to speak that over you tonight. You don't have to leave this place the same way that you came in. You don't have to leave this place with anxiety. You don't have to go out those back doors without being loosed of depression. So I believe that in our church tonight, as we prepare, as we as we begin to plow the field, so to speak, and just prepare the atmosphere for what God wants to do tonight and through the rest of this week. I want to walk you through this graphic. These are apostolic, united Pentecostal church young people that answered this survey. In the last year, you've probably read through it by now, for a group of 25 youth, you can double that for us. We have about 50 on a Wednesday night. 18 of 25 struggle with anxiety. 12 struggle with depression. 8 struggle with pornography. Help us, Jesus. 5 struggle with suicide. 3 struggle with premarital sex. 3 struggle with occasional drinking. 2 struggle with self-harm, two struggle with same-sex attraction, one struggles with tobacco use, one struggles with marijuana use, but the most compelling statistic of them all is this. Zero. Hear me tonight. Zero struggle with nothing. So double the numbers for our youth group, Capital Community Youth, double the numbers for our church. On any Wednesday night, on any Sunday night when we show up together, 36 of our young people are struggling with anxiety. 24 people are struggling with depression. 16 of our youth are struggling with pornography. 10 of our youth are contemplating suicide. Six of them are struggling with premarital sex. Six of them are struggling with occasional drinking. Four, self-harm. Four, same-sex attraction. Two, tobacco. Two, marijuana. And again, zero are struggling with none. Parents, I know you don't want to hear it, but those are your children. Church, this is, this is our young people. This isn't people in another city. This isn't people halfway across the planet. We're talking about people that are in this room tonight. Grandparents, these are your grandkids. And so I say it again. You don't have to leave the same way that you came in. And so when you say, or when I ask you, what is it worth? Can I tell you? Can I tell you that as a youth pastor, as a pastor at this church, that to see our young people be loosed of anxiety or depression or loosed of that addiction of pornography or 10 of our young people that may be contemplating suicide right now be delivered of that spirit, can I tell you what it's worth? It's worth anything and it's worth anything that we can do. And so when our pastor calls us to 30 days of prayer and fasting, you say, that's hard. Yeah, it is. But can I tell you what else is hard? Looking at numbers like this. And this is the world that we live in. This is the generation that is growing up in our pews. And I just want to say it one more time for everybody in the room to hear. But you don't have to leave the same way that you came in tonight. Would you stand with me? Leonard Ravenhill, great writer, 
a revivalist. I have quoted his books before. But he said this. He said, at God's counter, at God's yard sale, there are no sale days for the price of revival is ever the same. The price of revival is ever the same. And when we talk about revival, we, we, we often think about new people coming to church, people that don't know the Lord yet. But can I tell you, we need a revival amongst ourselves. We need a revival amongst ourselves. Can we just take a minute and pray? And would you just let that heaviness, that burden that you feel resting upon you, would you just begin to push through that a little bit just for a minute? Would you just lift your voice with me for a moment? And you just step into that place of prayer that we opened this service with. And just begin to let that burden. That... That's it, church. That's it. Let's just take a minute and step into this. The Lord is working on hearts right now. If you're somebody in this room that is struggling with one of these things, I would let your voice begin to rise above the rest. There's a liberty in the house tonight. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's it. That's it, church. That's it, church. There's some people that are saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter what I've got to do. It doesn't matter how much I've got to pray. It doesn't matter how many meals I've got to push away from the table. It's going to be worth it. Oh, come on, church, just for another moment. Would you just elevate your voice just a little bit higher than you have so far? And for those of you that haven't jumped in yet, can you just begin to pray? If you haven't participated thus far, can you let your voice rise in this room tonight? I feel, I feel a freedom in this room. I feel the Spirit of the Lord beginning to do a work among us tonight. Jesus, God, we say no matter the cost, God, no matter the price, God, it doesn't matter what the price tag says. We are willing to pay the price. God, we have decided and we have come to a place of hunger and resolve where we say we are not satisfied. And so, God, we push beyond what is comfortable and we push in to a new level. And, God, we just ask, Lord Jesus, we just pray that your spirit would work in our midst tonight. That's it, church. We're going here in just a minute. I'm just going to ask the music to come down just slightly. Singers, I appreciate you joining me on the, on the platform tonight, but can we just begin to lift our voices together as a church family?
There are, there are groanings that cannot be uttered in this room tonight. There is, there is intercession that has been placed in the heart of somebody, and you just need to give way to it tonight. You just need to let it loose tonight in this place. God, I pray that there will be a hunger that is stirred up in your people tonight. God, I pray that there will be a hunger and unquenchable desire that comes from your throne room tonight. And God, I pray that it would rest. I pray that it would set upon each and every one of us that are in this room. God, I pray, God, that we would just give way to what you are wanting to do in this service. God, I pray that we would step beyond the normative. And God, we would just step beyond the status quo for the next few minutes. And God, I pray that your spirit will begin to break open in this room. God, I pray that your spirit will begin to move and flow among every seat and every row in this place tonight. That's it, church family. I feel a little bit of resistance in the room, but I feel like we just need to push it to another level tonight. Can you just one more time, just a little bit louder than you have and a little more uncomfortable than you've been? Can you just push in prayer for another moment? I wish there'd be a couple people that would make their way down to this altar as we're praying and say, God, whatever it costs, God, whatever the cost, whatever the cost, whatever the cost, whatever the cost, God, I'm not leaving the same way that I came in, but God, I'm coming to this altar for an answer, and I am leaving changed. People are coming. Don't miss your moment right now. If you want to come to this altar, make your way out of your seat. And as you get here, would you just begin to let your voice rise again? If you're the parent of a young person in this room, if you can at all make it possible, I would ask that you would come down to this altar right now. I pray that you would pray for your family, but that you would just step in the gap for other families who have young people struggling with this sort of thing. That's it, church family. That's it, church family. I would that everybody would be a participator right now, wherever you are, all across this room. Can you begin to lift your worship to the Lord? Can you lift your voice to the Lord? For those of you that can't make it to this altar, can you just begin to cry out where you are? We're about to take some dominion and authority in this room in just a minute. <laughs> 